Welcome to Canuck of the Dead. Um, with this episode, I, I know when I started this podcast, there were certain people I wanted to make sure I got on the show, and these people were one of them because I got to enjoy both of these shows at Blood in the Snow Film Festival, um, Once Upon a Time at Christmas and The Nights Before Christmas. So without further ado, I would like to welcome in Paul Tanter, Simon Phillips, and Sayla. How are you? Good. Good. Really good. Guys, thanks so much for doing this. I, I know when I first saw that first one, Once Upon a Time at Christmas, it was such a bizarre take on a Christmas classic that you couldn't help but be captivated. So what what was the kernel for that? For Well, actually, you know what? Before we even start, I'm going to play the trailer just so people kind of get a feel for what we're talking about. What was that? Did you hear about Troy? He died last night with Michelle Weaver. Two teenagers? Sheriff, what are you thinking? These descriptions of the killers are accurate? Some are low. Two freaks dress up as Mr. and Mrs. Claus. There's a storm coming. The state of emergency has now been declared in Northeast New York. You got three dead bodies. He removed their fingers. The psycho is targeting everyone. Whoever they were, they moved quick. This guy's killing every day. He is escalating the numbers. and all through the house. Not a creature was there, not even a mouse. But I heard Nick exclaim as he drove out of sight. Happy Christmas to all, and to all a bloody good night. All right, Paul, where did that come from? <laughs> oh, well, well, oh, uh, uh, to be honest, uh, I mean, like it's a while ago. So um, this, this is, uh, to the best of my recollection, um, where it came from was uh, the, the original idea was Simon's. So uh, we're, like, we're, we're horror fans already, but we've not really done an out-and-out -out slasher before. We've done things that was more sort of psychological horror, that kind of thing. Um and Simon had this idea for uh, like a batshit crazy Christmas horror story about this crazy Santa Claus um, and a Mrs. Claus who would terrorize the town. But as well as as well as a good actor, he's also a very good producer. So he made sure that a, a distributor had interest in us first. So we, we kind of tried to reverse engineer a lot of our projects. And, you know, we don't just make something and then try and sell it. We make sure there's an interest for it first. So. He went and talked to uh, Lionsgate, who also have their um, their company Grindstone that do a lot of indie stuff. And he found out there was an interest for, you know, they were like, yeah, horror, Christmas, great. We're very interested. Um, and so it started from there. So we got a writer, Christopher Jolly, who we know. And we tried to sort of embrace the um, kind of the best elements of the horrors that we love and think, what would we want to what would we want to see in a Christmas horror movie um, where it doesn't take itself too seriously? Uh, where we try and sort of take something around the theme of Christmas and try and base the story around it a little bit. So we kind of turn it into a bit of a detective whodunit versus, uh, versus slasher story. And that's kind of where it started, really. 
Um, and so, you know, we got, as I said, Christopher Jolly, the writer, to write it and uh, bashed through a few drafts. And before long, we were arriving at the uh, shooting script for Once Upon a Time at Christmas, which I'm, I was very proud of when we were writing. And then also when we came to shoot it, I thought, yes, this is this does feel like the sort of uh, crazy and fun and in some ways a bit camp as well kind of uh, Christmas caper that, uh, you know, that we wanted to that we wanted to make. Nice. So then, Simon, with this colonel, was this something you thought would be a cool story idea or something that you said, I want to be Santa? I think it's just, yeah, it was just I wanted to be a crazy Santa. And then it's sort of, how do you do that? Sort of, uh, it always struck me as I love, like, ever since watching Gremlins, where they turned sort of Christmas into a horror movie or Black Christmas, or there's a couple, like, quite a few famous, uh, you know, Christmas horrors. And I really like it because it's sort of subverting the whole season, you know, sort of. So it's, uh, I don't know, it's a, it's a, I don't know, it's carte blanche to be ridiculous, isn't it? Sort of, so, um, and it's good fun. And Sailor, how did you get involved? Because Mrs. Claus would not be Mrs. Claus without you. Oh, thank you. I actually um, responded to a posting on mandy.com and then um, had a self-tape and Simon re requested my self-tape. And then, yeah, I was super excited. He gave me a call and I was like jumping up and down. You know, I, <laughs> and then, I was, yeah. I was really upset about this because Sailor is actually like a foot taller than me. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. I remember this. <laughs> you know, she was perfect for the role. And you're like, yeah. Paul was like, look, if she's good, she's good. And I was like, yeah, no. Apple like, box. We'll just stand you on boxes, or you know, she'll be slightly in the background, or you know, sort of. And I was like, now there'll be one point where I'm stood next to her, I know there will be, and I'll have to like look up. You know? <laughs> oh man, no regrets though. No, I'm just I'm sorry, that wasn't really a regret. It is. What we managed to do with. What we managed to do there was the trick that um, uh, when you watch a lot of Tom Cruise films, it, if you're looking for this, you'll spot it. But you'll notice that a lot of the time if he's walking next to an actor, then there's a height disparity. But the moment they stop and they turn to look at each other, suddenly they're pretty much on the same eye line. Or if, or if for example, you watch Top Gun when they're in the bar, Anthony Edwards, who plays Goose, is always leaning on the bar, which, which knocks about six inches off of his height. And that brings him down to... Uh, to Tom Cruise's height. So we kind of employed a few tricks like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, like Sailor was like, I mean, it was quite clear from the first time we saw the, uh, the tape yeah. that Sailor was perfect for the role. We were like, this is the person for it. She's like, you know, um, and I say this in a good way, Sailor, she's already got a kind of element of craziness about her anyway, uh, in, a, in, in a nice controlled way. Uh, but, she really, yeah, but she really harnesses that for Mrs. Claus. And she's you're like, she, you know, she's got the look, she's like, like I've described her in interviews where she hasn't been there as being very much like a Valkyrie, you know, like a Valkyrie in the outfit of Mrs. Claus. And that's kind of, and that's very much what she was. Yeah. She's a force of nature. Oh, you're still right. I still remember the first time I met her uh, was at Blood in the Snow. And we were going to see the screening of her short film that she was in, Siren. And I met her outside. We talked for a minute. And then we got inside. It's like, what the heck? No. How is that what I just met outside? Because she totally transforms on the screen. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. fun um, um, activating those little inner creatures. <laughs> I don't know. We should go on record and just say that Sailor's crazy. Um, <laughs> and whenever That's we get her, right. we just put her in the costume and we'll go, look, stand here and just keep talking so the red light goes off or Paul shot, shouts cut, you know. <laughs> well, talking of, of speaking of the camera, Simon, I know you and I have chatted, that voice that you have for Mr. Claus, that's yeah. hard to do for you, isn't it? Yeah, I regret doing that. Yeah, because uh, once once I started it, I had to keep it up. <laughs> also, I had these like uh, I've got these sort of metallic uh, grills in, 
So when we were doing the first one, obviously I didn't practice talking with the grills in, uh, even though Paul told me to. Um, <laughs> so there was a lot of lisping going on. So I was like, kind of like, Merry Christmas, everybody. You know, sort of, <laughs> you've got to, yeah, we're going to have to look at that in ADR or something. <laughs> it was just too hard to do. But then, right, then when it came to the second film, I did feel a bit sorry for Simon because um, I think uh, he tried put, he, like he tried to bravely yeah. uh, use the the grill from the first film. And, and of course, apparently your teeth don't stay in the same position through your life. They move. And so he tried putting it in and it wouldn't fit. And so did you actually get a new one made for the second film? No, I, I bent it so that it would. Ah, there you go. So he just literally he just literally bent the first one and had to <laughs> endure the pain of having yeah. his uh, mouth re-taped while we were filming. It was. The, that second film did hurt a lot. I should have probably just got that done. That's pain for your art right there. There you go. That made the painful voice easier to do. <laughs> well, speaking of the second film, let's take a quick look at the trailer of the second one so everybody's caught up on that one as well because I got a couple questions. What are you doing here? Courtney, come home. What? Just for Christmas. Dad, he's still out there. They were violent. They were crude and they were dangerous. There's my Mrs. Claus. Have you been a good girl? Mm -hmm. I've been a little bit naughty. Me too. He bided his time. Shit! He made his plan. <laughs> he killed 30 people. He burnt down that whole asylum. Don't let her get inside your head. What's my name? What if it's an actual list? Say it! Say it! Say it! What's my name? Santa, is that you? Just look at that. Like, that is a wild ride. <laughs> <laughs> that was good fun. See, and that was the fun thing with the second one, because you guys just went for the slaughter kind of fast, you know, like you said, slasher, whodunit kind of thing. But with the second one, you really dove into their characters. Actually, we, yeah. we did. We? we had a lot of the movie was uh, about two and a half hours long when we first did it, because we had we actually had loads of backstory. And then we had to cut it out because uh, it was sort of stopping the the film moving forward but we filmed all this sort of we filmed me and Salem meeting in the asylum and and how we got to where we got to you know sort of uh, so you saw a lot more of that um we had to cut about half an hour out otherwise the movie was going to be too long well that but the idea uh, oh, no, I mean, ahead, the idea with the second one as as always with sequels especially with horrors what you want to try and do is build on the first one and do everything bigger you know you know like everything sort of like multiplied by the square root so Whereas the first one was set in a kind of sleepy um, backwards, you know, town up in upstate New York. This one was set in the city. Whereas in the first one, 
um, you know, it was just going after a few people. On this one, it was like it was going after a whole company of people. You know, and and on the, and while on the first one, you know, the the kills were of a certain level and a certain bloodiness. We tried to make it on this one that everything was a bit bigger and a bit bloodier, and the uh, and Santa and Mrs. Claus were a bit more vicious as well. Um, but also they were. They're also also they um, not that they're uh, not that they're different characters uh, in this one. They're the same characters, but you see that you see their smartness in this one as well. So they seem a lot smarter because you see the sort of cunning they have. You know, you see the kind of they play this cat and mouse game with the FBI, where they you know they purposely get caught and they find ways to escape and stuff like that. So yeah, it was it was fun to kind of go bigger and bloodier and bolder, and also it was fun to delve into the characters, even if, as Simon says, we had to cut out some of the backstory for um uh, for the purposes of time because uh, you can't have a two and a half hour horror film but we still did have these flashbacks you do still see how they meet and the 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 origins and the genesis of um of santa and mrs claus those were some really fun scenes to film in the in an old um in an old uh, like abandoned uh, hospital scenes where these guys were like you know setting fire to orderlies and uh, and going on a rampage and they're just blood soaked in these originally white clothes that are just absolutely drenched in blood that kind of gives you this foreshadowing of the red costumes they're going to be living in for the next few years yeah so yeah it was a lot of fun you know classic first date stuff <laughs> that's what they were doing <laughs> <laughs> The, the the part that I liked about it too was you actually almost were a, a sympathetic characters at that point because you learned so much about their backstories. You know, in the first one, they're just killers and you you hate them because they're the bad guys. But in this one, you hate them because they're the bad guys, but you're sitting there going, I kind of get it. <laughs> you know, they, they weren't treated the best. Was there any, any thought in that? Like that's how you were going to go originally or did this come up with a second script? I think it was sort of a natural uh, progression, wasn't it? Yeah, from first to second, Paul, uh, that we wanted to do. There's uh, monsters are scary, but monsters with like a um, like a, a genuine backbone, like you know, where sometimes you you know, if you tilt your head to the left, you can kind of see where they're coming from, and you're like, I don't know, if that was me and I was treated like that, maybe I'd end up like that too. You know, sort of, uh, you know. So we tried a little. Obviously, we take it to the extreme, but. Uh, you don't have yeah. to, yeah. you know, that, that's, there's, a, there's that theory, isn't there? That that's what happens to serial killers. It's only one in, you know, 50,000 people, but with the right ingredients at the right time in their young development, uh, you know, you're, you're going to produce these mass murderers. But I, I do, I do hope that if anything, you know, if, as Simon says, in the first one, they're just kind of killing people. You don't really know why they've got a bit of a plan in this one. You see more reasons for it and people do soften to them and feel sorry for them and look at them and go, I can understand the motivation there. But I, I like to think what we always try to do was at any time when you were in danger of feeling sorry for Santa or Mrs. Claus, we then yeah. had them do something nicely horrific that would then remind the audience, oh no, they are batshit crazy serial killers. Oh, they just cut someone's head off. Oh, they just, you know, hack someone's dick off or something like that. We tried to always make it that they were doing something uh, that, uh, that would then take away any sympathy that people might have for them. That's very true, <laughs> especially like you saw in the trailer with Simon and the, the yeah. Yeah. <sighs> so getting into the second film then, was there any change in your headsets, Sayla and Simon, like to try and, uh, I don't want to say portray them as more human, but to, to bring that to life? Let Sayla go down. Yeah, so I found like the second movie was interesting because we shot it over the the course of a, a year, so it was broken up, and um, which 
when as an actor you come kind of differently like at any given month so it was interesting because I feel like that might have like added some dynamic to it but um yeah I guess I I like I love the script because it's it added some compassion but then you the characters manipulated that so it was fun to kind of play with that there was there was the moments in the script in the, the film and then yeah you can just play with it so I, I really enjoyed that so this one was a longer film period like the first one was shot fairly quick was it not yeah like in two weeks i think we wrapped that out <laughs> yeah it was a lot yeah. of fun and really intense but a lot of fun <laughs> yeah. and cold and very cold very cold <laughs> very cold that's the other thing filming in the winter whose idea was that like i know it's all, christmas but all tantas <laughs> <laughs> well you see as as uh, and this is where i will assign blame as well as i said simon phillips is a very good producer so he's very good at making use of things that um you know, uh, extend budgets and uh, get, get us lots of production value. So both films, the majority, uh, the first one was shot entirely over the Christmas period of, of a certain year. And then the second one, we, as Sailor said, we did film some of it spread over a period, but some of it was over another Christmas period. And this was so in both cases, we could take advantage of things like Santa's grottos in malls and lots of Christmas lights out on the streets and that kind of thing. And that way we got a lot of, you know, production value for the film. But that meant, especially for the first one, that we were filming in, uh, I mean, we filmed it in a couple of places, but we were filming out at night in Napanee near Kingston, sort of halfway between Ottawa and Toronto. Outside in the snow, you know, it's two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning. It's minus, I don't know, it's something like minus 10, but with wind chill, it feels like minus 25. Um, I'm out there, you know, yelling at Sailor, who's like quite justifiably saying, Paul, you've got me laying on the ground here trying to play dead or I'm laying on the snow. It's kind of hurting. And I'm like going, look, can we just, let's just shut up, sailor. Let's just shut up and we'll film it. Um, no. And then and bless her. She, no, no, no. And, and, and like, and we managed to shoot it, shoot what we needed and it looked great. And then afterwards, sailor like shows me, Oh, I felt so terrible. She had like a burn on her leg and it's like, and it's like a cold burn. Like if you sit on a freezer oh. or something, and she's like, yeah, I kind of, I was kind of suffering there. And I'm like, oh shit. I didn't know about that. Oh God. I um, did not complain like that. It, I took it. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 you, no. You were very good. And I, I felt terrible afterwards because you took it like a trooper and like, and it was, yeah, it was horrible. I was like, I remember that I was operating a drone outside and I took my gloves off to fly it. And within like two or three minutes, like my hands were, you know, my hands didn't work. It was horrible. Um, and then the following on the following film, the very first thing we shot was the ambulance sequence where the uh, where Sailor is in the ambulance and she kills the uh, the FBI guys. And then uh, Simon comes along and cuts the tree down and all that kind of thing. And that was obviously it's the second film. It's a couple of years later. And that was on we'd been leading up to this and there had been no snow and we needed snow. And we were so fortunate that when we went to bed the night before, there was still no snow. But when we woke up in the morning, we got the first snow of that year. And so firstly, we had what we needed in terms of how the world looked, but also it was the sort of pristine, untouched snow that you see in like a Christmas card, you know, that you see in like Hallmark movies. And we shot that, and I think that was I think that was in November. I think, and we shot that. And that was a very long day because we shot that as almost like a proof of concept kind of like teaser for the film. And that was like a seventeen hour day, but that was a great day. And I, once we got that, and we what, and I knew the scene had worked and looked really good. That the rest of the film was going to be great as well. And I'm very pleased to to say that that happened. 
this was like a Christmas miracle almost. <laughs> it was. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> we'll get to California one day, right, Paul? <laughs> sure, we will, Mr. Homer. <laughs> so, um, other than Porcela with that burn, like I, I imagine with that tight schedule, there was a lot of cramming in and, and pressure and pushing. Was it like tense for you guys or did you still keep your levity? Uh, you know, like, um, well, <laughs> we, we were all quiet. When you're making a bit <laughs> no, no, we, we ended up never speaking to each other. Six months. Why I order? When you're making indie films, especially on a tight budget, then you have to schedule things uh, and prepare for things as best you can. And you don't have all the time in the world. And the thing is, and if you take ages on something, it means having to lose something down the line because you know you, you might you've only got a location for one day because you can only afford it for one day or that kind of thing. So you do have to be quite brisk with things. But all the actors are all great with, you know, everyone comes to work prepared. They know what they got to do and everyone hits the ground running. So, you know, I was very pleased that you know, on both films. Yeah, there were like there were long days and there, and it was hard work. You know, like it's fun, but it's also hard work. But also amidst it, everyone working is always a joy because we do work in the best industry in the world. And, and we are very lucky to be doing it um and you know like i've worked nine to five jobs and i'm glad i'm not i'm not you know working in an office or something like that not that there's anything wrong with that but i'm very lucky that i'm able to work you know do films full time so there's always sort of a spring in people's step knowing that here we are doing the thing we love um so yeah i think there was always sort of levity amidst everyone knows it's work and everyone knows it's a job but at the same time you're still you're still happy and also there's still room to experiment and improvise and try new things and try to have some sort of creative freedom as an artist like in both films there were so two of the be my, of my favorite moments in both in, in each film is something that wasn't actually in the script and that was come up with the, the night before based on things that we saw or things that we knew could happen so in the first in the fir very first film um in the end scene uh, so Mrs. Claus does this thing where she's handcuffed, her arms are behind her back, and she brings her arms up over her head, cronk, and they come down in front. And that came up, that wasn't in a script, that came about because, like, the night before, Sailor had told me, oh, I'm double jointed, I can do this trick. And I'm like, Oh my God, we have to use this. And she said, Okay, as long as you don't make me do it too many times because it will hurt. And we did it the next day, and it and it's one of my favorite one of my favorite bits in the film. I've got it, I had it in, I had it in my showreel. Um, and in the second film, we had this thing of like, we knew in this location where we were filming, we'd have this boardroom, we'd also have the bathroom. Um, and we wanted to take the lawyer out of the um, uh, boardroom and try and have a kill elsewhere. And so a couple of days before, I, you know, just kind of came up with this idea. I don't know where it came from of, uh, hey, you know what, Simon, you should cut this guy's dick off with a pair of garden shears. And uh, <laughs> I, I knew how the scene would happen in my head. And, and when we came to the, the only difference was we had pruning shears, but they work perfectly. And we came to it. And that, again, is one of my, my one of my favorite scenes in the film. So there's even amidst crazy schedules, there's room for creativity and improvisation, experimentation. Um, and I think that's where, you know, you sort of get some magic as well in those things. Well, with that, because you said you like with the longer stretch in the second film, you had so much extra that you had to cut. Was there anything lost in that first one, or was it a tight script with a tight shooting uh, schedule, and you used everything? I think we used everything, didn't we? From the, the first one, didn't in have the anything. The first missing, one, I. Th 
Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's, I don't think there's any scenes. There's always, there's lines here and there that you nip and tuck mm. to shore up scenes, make things um, a bit quicker. I don't think there was any any scenes for the first one. I, I, off the top of my head, I don't think there was. There was like bits here and there, but I don't think there was any scenes. But the second one, we went into it knowing it would probably be a bit longer because I think the script was like sort of 130, 140 pages long or something. So we got I knew it was going to be a bit longer. It was just once we saw the cut, it was like, ah, this is about two and a half hours long. It can't be two and a half hours long. A cinema won't show it, you know, if it's going to be two and a half hours, if it's going to be that long, quite simply. Well, let me ask you then, is it easier to look at a script and figure out what to pull or do you just film it and then look at it in the film and pull it that way? It's easier and cheaper to do it in the script because then, because for if you assume that for each page of dialogue, you've got a minute of filming, and on an indie film, like we would shoot between 10 and 20 pages a day. But like most films would shoot, you know, sort of like between three and eight pages a day. That's still, you're still looking at a couple of extra days of filming. So if you've got a tight budget, it's better to work. It's better to do it at the script stage. But we loved, right, you know, we love the scenes in the asylum and that kind of thing. And that's why we shot them, you know, because we wanted to use them. It just once we ended up and had the cut, we were like, no, this slows down the action. Because it is ultimately... A horror film so you so, need to have you need to be focusing on those elements and, and make sure that the pace is sort of sufficient yeah and that's why that in the end they got cut and that's easier to see obviously when you have the film in front of you but financially it's always better to do it in script okay that makes a lot of sense actually um i, I, I hope that the execs aren't watching <laughs> you could have done that up front <laughs> Wait, what? no we never asked that question uh so that i gotta check uh because Paul kind of mentioned his favorite scenes that were I Sayla and Simon. What were your favorite scenes so far in the two films? Ladies first. I think I really enjoyed the the police truck. What was was that vehicle where with the the heel and I had to like stab his neck and all that and it was like gushing out. Yeah, yeah, really yeah, the yeah. And I yeah. love the insane asylum scenes. These were actually taken out of the film, but I love a lot of them. And just being in that set was really amazing because it's like you feel like I, I love the process of movies and like watching them come together. And you're there for long days. So you see everybody else's scenes and what they're doing. And it's like really creepy being in that insane asylum. So you're like, you have to go to the washroom in the dark. And it was like really creepy and you'd run. <laughs> it was like, it was just fun. I loved it. So, yeah. That would be cool. That would be cool. Simon, what was yours? Yeah, the same. Um, when we came to do the second film, obviously there was a lot of um, uh, sort of the backstory scenes were good, good fun because it, it was a bit of something to get your teeth into, sort of as an actor. You know, there was a there started to be rhyme and reason for what we were doing, and we were sort of making sense of it. And it was good fun to sort of seed the early crazy. You know, so you go, well, you're not full crazy yet, just but we but we want to see that it's there. So you'd get brief bits of that. And actually, I think we ended up using a, uh, like flashes of these scenes to sort of demonstrate that, you know, so what happened was when we cut a lot of this stuff out, well, actually what we we're doing was we we're cutting five page scenes out, but you still saw like two or three lines that we sort of hinted back to. Sort of. So we did, so we did use it because me and uh, me and Sarah have a great time on this. Everybody else does a lot of hard work, like acting and taking it very seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and we turn up and kill everyone. We like we're, and people are, and the audience are waiting for Mr. and Mrs. Claus to turn up and create mayhem. You know, like it's sort of that uh, 
So we, all these other people do all a lot of hard work with exposition and story and stuff like that. And then we turn up and just kill a few people and, you know, um, we have yeah. lots of fun. So. We'll be back. Yep. <laughs> yeah, covered in blood for like 10 hours straight. Yeah, it's a but blast. I, I love if it. I, if I could say, my favorite film in the second, and my favorite scene actually in the second film is not uh, the scene you might think it is. Uh, Paul Tanter, I don't know if you caught this in the second movie, plays the head of the um, mental institution. So at the end of it, uh, he, I don't think there's any spoilers here. I get to chop his head off. Now, imagine what a bastard Paul Tanter's been throughout this entire shoot <laughs> in general. And so to be like, you know, sort of to, to be wielding an axe near him, it's very, very gratifying. You know, sort of. <laughs> wow, Simon, the ferocity in that first tape. I got it. <laughs> yeah. Even though he was like, no, no, wait, 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 bring the mannequin in for the thing. And I was like, oh, my, that's, that is my bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I do have to ask though, because you guys go ahead, Paul. Oh, I was just gonna say when we were when we were shooting that scene, obviously we would call cut before he would swing at me, and then eventually we would put in a a mannequin head. But I was genuinely uh, just flinching and ducking anyway, just in case he decided to follow through. Um, And why do you, Paul? Let me ask you, Paul. Why are you that nervous? Is there something you have done that thinks that that would be coming towards you? Is there any reason you think that might happen? I, I just don't trust you operating dangerous implements or heavy machinery, okay? But it, I mean, like, it would have been nothing, you know what it's you, like, Simon? You Simon, you know, like, you, I mean, like, you, you operating anything dangerous, you, usually by about 10 a.m., you know, you've had a bit of cough syrup, you know, you, you might be slurring <laughs> your words a little bit, and, like, we, we, we don't know if you're going to lose your grasp on it or something. You know what? You know what? Check your text messages. I'm texting you something right now. <laughs> well... On that note, uh, we're going to end this right now, but stick around because I'm going to talk to these guys about a possible third movie. And we also want to dig into the uh, Age of the Undead and see what's going on there. 